Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Five Rings to Rule Them All. I'm Sid Ziegler. I first became aware of the topic of sex testing and gender testing and chromosome testing from Patricia Nell Warren. Patricia was a dear friend and an author, the author of The Front Runner, which in the 1970s was about a gay athlete who made it all the way to the Olympic Games. It was a topic that was near and dear to Patricia's heart, and I learned a lot from her about the long history of this topic and the absolute horrors it inflicts on so many athletes. So when I saw that the Human Rights Watch issued a new report on sex testing, a new lengthy, detailed report on, on the topic, I knew I had to talk to Minky Worden. Minky has been at the Human Rights, the Human Rights Watch for a couple of decades and is an incredible advocate for human rights in and around the sports world. We talk about, again, the history of sex testing, why it is so problematic, why it is so traumatizing for the athletes who are targeted. Uh, we talk about the targeted groups. And Minky also addresses uh, some of the LGBTQ human rights issues in Japan ahead of the Tokyo Games that we should be paying attention to and the opportunity that the Summer Olympic Games hopefully taking place next summer in Tokyo, presents for all of us. Uh, I, I appreciate Minky taking the time, and I hope you enjoy our conversation. Minky, thank you so much for joining me. First, for, for my audience who may not know what sex testing even is, what is it and why now is the Human Rights Watch putting a big spotlight up, spotlight on it? Well, um, thanks, thanks for having me on the show. Uh, sex testing uh, is a practice that really has ex applied exclusively to women and girls. And it first started with uh, mostly male sport authorities in the 40s. Um, and it was very ad hoc. It was sort of, you know, take your clothes off and show us your genitals. Um, uh, and then um, in the 60s and 70s, it became a system-wide practice. Um, and uh, sports governing bodies like um, then the IAAF, which is now known as World Athletics, and the IOC began a systematic mandatory testing of all women athletes. Um, and in some cases, it was based on nothing other than room, rumors that some women were more male than female um, and uh, that there was unfair competition. There have never been uh, similar regulations for men. Um, and uh, in the recent times, the um, doping uh, regime uh, under WADA, the World Anti-Doping Agency, has allowed the testing of testosterone, and that has been used then as a, a backdoor way to disqualify um, qualified women from participating in events. And I think the the um, in, on the face of it, <laughs> sex testing is degrading. It's traumatic. Um, it, you know, for some of these young athletes, their in their first experience um, for sex is. Um, of visual genital uh, inspections, 
Um, there in the in the old days, as our report documented, the female athletes were forced to parade in the news in the nude, naked. Um, so um, uh, the current um, uh, set of chromosomal testing and testosterone testing is actually not so far removed from the old uh, from the old invasive parade um, and degrading parade that women athletes were put through not least because of the um, mocking and stigma that has um, accompanied so many of these uh, female athletes. Um, and finally, the one of the, I think, most heartbreaking things that the report documents is that for many of these women, um, the, um, the exclusion from sport led to death, you know, they, they were encouraged to think that if they had an operation, they would be able to participate. And in practice, as we know from several of these tragic stories, um, they, there was not informed consent. And these athletes um, who had operations were never able to compete again and face um, lifelong health catastrophes as a consequence. So, um, uh, and among those lifelong health ca catastrophes are sterilization. Um, so the, the sex testing uh, is, uh, discredited um, practice from the um, from uh, decades ago that somehow persists in this modern age, and it continues to have uh, uh, catastrophic effects on the the health and the human rights of women athletes. We know about Castro Semenya and the gosh decade long battle that she has had simply to be able to participate the way that World Athletics has specifically targeted her with policy. How many women does the Human Rights Watch know this has impacted? How widespread is this? Well, the, the new uh, Human Rights Watch report actually interviews uh, more than a dozen women and the title of the report, I think, is important. It's called They're Chasing Us Away from Sport with the subtitle Human Rights Violations in Sex Testing of Elite Women Athletes. But what we found, and I think the most interesting finding, is that this doesn't just affect elite women athletes. It has a trickle-down effect across the, sport, the global sports system. Um, and one of the um, saddest cases that we document is um, the case of um, Santi Sandaran, Sandarajan, um, who won a silver in the 800 medals uh, at the Asian Games in Doha. And news leaks that she had failed a so-called sex test um, and her medal being withdrawn, she attempted, after that, she attempted suicide. So these, uh, these sex tests, um, uh, in addition to being degrading and violations of basic human rights for women, also then, um, as you, you mentioned, Castor Semenya's case, um, uh, you know, after she won the world championships in Berlin, she has faced nothing but speculation and um, uh, uh, public shaming um, about her sex, um, I think, you know, to luckily for, for Castor, the South African government has really lined up behind her and has brought efforts at the UN Human Rights Council um, and in other 
um, international settings to actually try to defend her right to participate in sport. Um, but the, the bottom line is that this is caused by um, the, the poor choice of the policy of identifying testosterone as um, uh, being um, uh, determinative of sex, uh, of gender. And so um, a number of athletes, to your question, it's actually we don't know the exact number of athletes, um, but um, certainly thousands worldwide, and many of who, whose stories we will never know because they were simply um, chased, out of, uh, chased out of sport, as the title of this report says. So uh, people who defend this, these practices, and again, these practices, like you said, have been uh, roundly denounced for decades. They persist. And what we're told is that these, these, these practices are there to protect women's sports. But I don't think, I, I mean, I certainly think that's ridiculous. It's not the reason. What is the real reason these practices persist? Well, I think they persist because, uh, first of all, no one really challenges them. The, the women who have been the victims of these practices, um, in addition to being chased out of sport, have been humiliated. They've been stripped of their medals, stripped of any ability to have a livelihood, um, as I mentioned, um, suicide, depression have, have been, so they're, they have, um, and shame, so that they haven't really been able to fight these policies. Um, one of the things that Human Rights Watch has identified is the lack of a comprehensive human rights policy and strategy at the IOC level. And then, of course, that filters down to all of the federations. And the federation that has, um, as you indicated uh, or mentioned, uh, targeted Castor Semenya directly and personally. That federation used to be known as the IAAF. Now it is um, now it is known as World Athletics, and it governs uh, global track. And um, so, uh, World Athletics, um, uh, in order to back up its flawed, abusive policy, actually worked with doctors who, without the consent of these runners inspected them and um, uh, put, you know, did a, a series of um, uh, so-called studies where they, they essentially claimed that a single biological marker could determine sex and testosterone in this case. Um, uh, but it led to ongoing scrutiny of women's bodies for signs of masculinity, um, and then sport officials um, claim that uh, these athletes then were not, were not women and were not allowed to participate in sport. So the, the question of um, how many women, we will never know the answer. Some of them may um, never tell, come step forward to tell their stories, but certainly it's, um, it, it's hundreds and, um, or thousands of, of women for the report, Human Rights Watch interview, more than a dozen. Back in the 50s and 60s, there were rumors about women from the Eastern Bloc in particular, that maybe they weren't women. And so decades ago, there were white women who were the targets of these rumors and policies. But you document in the report that very specifically now, this seems to be targeted at women in the global South, women from poorer countries, um, black women, Asian women, 
are women in in Europe and North America who again are, are majority white are they simply not being subjected to the testing or what is going on there you know I think it's um, uh, that Human Rights Watch you may know has done a series of reports looking at um, uh, looking at the question of um, human rights for intersex people. And one of the um, uh, things that we have uh, realized in the course of research is that many athletes, as, as well as in the general population, are intersex. That is, they, they, have, some they have some characteristics um, uh, that are non-binary. And the experience of particularly athletes from the global south um, uh, has been that uh, they have been targeted, perhaps with the understanding that they wouldn't be able to fight back. Um, in many cases, it is the, feder the national federations that are doing the sex testing or the exclusion from sport. Um, it's not, it's not uh, in, in global populations, um, a certain percentage of the population will be intersex across around the world. Um, so it's not entirely clear why uh, this is affecting uh, athletes from the global south um, or Africa more. But the reality is that these are the athletes who have been targeted and visibly excluded, targeted, stigmatized and visibly excluded from sport. And I should say that we have on the horizon, of course, um, you know, one of the few events on the global sport calendar is the Olympics that will open next July 23 in Tokyo. Currently, a number of these athletes, including Castor Semenya, um, are excluded from the sport, uh, from their sports, um, the sports that they have trained their entire lives for um, like other Olympians, um, and they are being excluded on the basis of, uh, of a, 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 a single naturally occurring phenomenon in their body. One of the arguments that I've seen made, and I think this may have been the, um, the, the, the uh, I can't remember who it was, the IAF, or somebody at some point argued that, well, sports are discriminatory anyway. And we are having a binary system, you know, men can't participate in women's sports and women can't participate in men's sports. And we have to draw the line somewhere. The, un the unfairness and the lack of equity and the inherent discrimination against women can be seen in this. You know, um, all athletes have distinctive, uh, elite athletes have distinctive characteristics that enable them to succeed. And Michael Phelps has you know, a high oxygenation of his blood that enables him to to uh, swim, to be a, one of the world's greatest swimmers. He has, um, ha you know, feet that function like slippers. And I don't think anyone has ever suggested that Michael Phelps should have his feet bound to make him just like other uh, athletes. And so that really does go, there are lots of characteristics that elite athletes have that make them excel at a particular sport. Um, but the fact that this is only uh, uh, affecting women, it shows you the inherently discriminatory nature of it. And our, and Human Rights Watch's position is that if World Athletics and the IOC had a human rights policy in place, they would be required to balance the rights of these athletes against the demands of the sport.
What for you or the Human Rights Watch, looking at the binary system of sports, somehow there has to be some way of classifying who competes in the women's sports and who competes in men's sports. And some people, like some places like uh, Connecticut, high school students are simply allowed to declare. Um, short of these, these, these invasive discriminatory tests, what system does the Human Rights Watch recommend to do that? Well, I think you just said it. I think you, you know, for, for the women whose stories we tell in the report, um, they are born as, you know, with external um, gender characteristics. They identify as women. And, it, and if that is the case, then they should be allowed, they've trained as women their entire lives. Um, that, that is the case that they should be allowed to compete on that basis. It, um, to turn things around, I mentioned Human Rights Watch's broader work on um, intersex rights globally. Um, you know, uh, among the reports that we have done are um, on the terrible practice of operating on babies to, to reassign their sex at birth. Um, and these are essentially doctors making this decision as the kids grow up, they, they realize that it was the wrong assignment and they are, uh, are you know, experience lifelong trauma as a consequence. I think um, particularly when we think of sports as an ecosystem that is also a multi-billion dollar business, you can also realize that, um, particularly for women in Africa, the global south, um, uh, sports is a ticket out of abject poverty. You can earn scholarships, you can attend school, you can get housing and food, and your, the benefits may lead to stable, lifelong employment in sports. If you look at all of the leadership of the International Committee, the International Olympic Committee, or the, uh, the World Athletics, they were all Olympians, you know, um, mostly male, I have to say. But just imagine if they were excluded from the possibility uh, of, of having a career in sport, they wouldn't be in the jobs that they're in now. So I think we have to also, um, right now there is not a, you know, it can't be right to, to chase these women out of sport through invasive and degrading sex tests and then say there's nowhere for you. You can't, you know, it's not to say there's no intersex category where you're welcome to compete. So for the time being, it has to be that human rights um, prevail and that the human rights implications of these tests are the only way forward. That, that, that these federations, meaning the IOC, World Athletics, and frankly, all other sports federations, need to adopt a human rights policy that includes non-discrimination on the basis of gender or sex um, or, um, or sexual orientation. And that's the only way forward is on the basis of human rights. Um, one other thing I would say is the International Olympic Committee has this week published a, um, a it's called a, a human rights strategy that includes adopting the UN guiding principles on business and human rights. And Human Rights Watch very much agrees with this. We've recommended it for um, more than a decade. And the reason is that the IOC is a multi-billion dollar company, so it is clearly a business or an enterprise. 
um, but also because there are many human rights harms caused by its policies. And the UN Guiding Principle on Business, UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights has a roadmap for how you address these abuses. And the harms that have been done to these athletes and um, uh, are um, uh, one of the, the things that has to happen is what we call remedy. The UN Guiding Principles on Business and Human Rights require four things. You have to do due diligence. You have to understand what are the human rights consequences of your policies. Um, you have to do monitoring. Is there a federation that is telling women to have um, an operation that will, that will do irreparable harm or sterilize them? Um, you have to do remedy. What, what remedy is available to these women who have been excluded from, sport, from the sport they've trained for? And then finally, you have to be transparent about what you've done. And right now, World Athletics has done none of those things. Um, they are clinging to a policy that has done uh, catastrophic harm to um, particularly African and South Asian women. And, um, uh, you know, I think our report shows the roadmap for the future. What they need to do is reverse this policy. These athletes should be able to compete at the Tokyo Olympics, and, um, and they're owed an enormous apology and probably compensation. Just earlier this year, uh, in response to, to calls to, to remove the uh, 2022 Olympics from Beijing, the IOC said, we're not in the business of human rights. So what changed that led to this week's development? I, I think um, uh, uh, whoever said that was wrong um, because the, the, um, what is the Olympics and what are sports without humans? Um, so you can't, you can't uh, say that uh, sports are not about human rights when the human rights impacts are so enormous. If you um, think back to the Beijing Olympics, you have uh, workers dying building Olympic facilities. You have um, uh, civil society and HIV AIDS um, activists arrested and given long jail sentences. In the case of the Sochi Olympics, you have the passage of an anti-LGBT so-called propaganda law in the year before the Sochi Olympics that, that, had, a, that had a devastating effect um, on those Olympics and then was copycatted across Central Asia. Yeah, and, and um, well, I think what it is is the IOC likes to, to hide behind uh, certain shields when it's convenient for them, when they can call something political. Um, but anyhow, it's, it's good to hear that they are making advancements there. Um, I, I know we're just, you know, you mentioned the Tokyo uh, Olympics. Um, just really quickly in the last couple of minutes that we have, uh, what LGBTQ issues should we be focused on, just on talking about and elevating as we approach the Tokyo Olympics? What, what is, what, what is the, what's going yeah. on in Japan? Thank, thanks for asking. The, I think um, the Olympians from around the world, the fans and others would be very surprised to learn that, uh, that Japan has zero protections for LGBT people. Um, and, and this is um, in a country where discrimination, hatred, the stigma and abuse are very prevalent, including in the workplace and in sports. Um, one of the successes of the Tokyo Olympics is that a law was passed two years ago in 2018 
that was a municipal law to protect LGBT rights. We, and we actually call it an Olympic law. So it, has, it was passed because the Olympics requires non-discrimination in principle six. Um, and it has been a big success. So, we, so there is, in Japan, there are 100 uh, LGBT groups. They include big ones like Pride House and smaller groups working on trans rights. Um, the most exciting thing is that these groups have come together in a coalition called J-All, for Japan All, and um, they're working uh, together with Human Rights Watch and Athlete Ally to use the Olympics to pass an LGBT equality law that would be a positive legacy of the game. So this is a law that would apply before, during, and after the Olympics. It would truly be part of the legacy of the Olympics. Um, and uh, um, we really feel that it is gaining ground by using the Olympics to tell the stories of, um, uh, to actually explain why it is so necessary to have this legislation. There's also a new prime minister in Japan, and we hope that the ruling party could move legislation. I should tell you that there is a single out athlete in Japan today a single out professional athlete. So you would realize how much stigma there must be in society. It's not that there is one, there, it's not that there is one gay person and gay athlete in all of Japan. It is that there is still so much stigma in the society that there is only one out athlete professionally. Um, and that's something that we would, that we would like to change. Um, uh, and we, I think there's real reason for optimism. Uh, there is a petition um, uh, and a signature campaign. I would encourage your listeners to go to the Human Rights Watch website um, and uh, sign the petition um, to pass this legislation. It, it really will make a difference in the lives of um, athletes, but also ordinary people across the country. Well, it's amazing. I have been a fan of you and your work for for years. You started Human Rights Watch about when we started out sports. Um, so it's just it's it's great to talk with you, and and we will continue to elevate at Outsports what you all are doing because we are right there with you in supporting intersex athletes, and and obviously we want to use the opportunity of the Olympics to, like you said, advance the conversations about LGBTQ rights in 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 Tokyo and Japan. So just, I really appreciate you taking the time. I, I know you're busy and, and uh, really thank you for all you do. Okay. Take, take care, Sid. It's great to talk and I'll, I'll, I'll come on the show anytime. You can follow Minky Worden on Twitter at Minky's Hijinks. I think if you type in Minky Worden, M-I-N-K-Y-W-O-R-D-E-N, you'll find her. Human Rights Watch is at H-R-W. And she messaged me uh, after our conversation that her favorite characters are Legolas and all the elves. Legolas is the most common uh, name that we hear. I think this is the first time also she mentioned Aragorn. I don't think that we've heard Aragorn's name mentioned. Her favorite book is The Two Towers. Of course, I think I've mentioned that my favorite moment from all the movies is that final 15 minutes of The Two Towers with the, the Ents rising up and and the end of the Battle of Helm's Deep. Anyhow, for, for another week. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Do track down Human Rights Watch. Take a look at the report. Uh, find the, the, the petition that Minky mentioned. 
to try to advance LGBTQ rights in Japan and in around the Olympic Games. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with a really uh, two fun guests, actually. We're going to have two people on at the same time. We've done that before. They are in a relationship. They are hoping to make it to the Olympic Games, and they've got pretty good shots. Um, hoping to make it next summer. Anyhow, come on back next week, and we will talk to you then.